This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. Death by Incarceration presents, in association with Crawl Space Media, Injustice, a new wrongful conviction podcast with a focus on advocacy. Emmanuel Rios and Angel Rodriguez are each serving life sentences for the 1987 murder of Sean Nelson, despite the existence of evidence that could have cleared them had it not been withheld at their trial. Now that our production team has obtained that previously lost evidence, will it be enough to right an injustice of more than 30 years? It's crazy because there's a confession. (laughs) There's a confession. He did confess. It's recorded. It's on a tape. Injustice. Welcome back to Injustice. Now, technically, this is a story about wrongful conviction. It's about justice, injustice, how things can go tragically off the rails when you have a dirty prosecutor like Roger King. And you have dirty cops, and just how the whole system can be turned on its head and turned against an innocent man. Two innocent men in this case. It's all of that and more. Technically. But what it's really about is human relationships. In our very first episode, we brought you portions of conversations we had with the families of Emmanuel Rios and Angel Rodriguez. And the one through line everyone mentioned was the incredible heart that these guys have. Even through dark days. Hell, 30 years in prison to most of us is unimaginable. But it's the reality of their current situation. Now Lisa and I were lucky enough to have a conversation with June about a week ago. And the intent was never to get his side of the story. I think we've covered the story to the best of our ability. But naturally, over the course of the conversation... If things came up from the trial, from the letters, we just followed where the conversation took us. But again, we weren't really interested in rehashing the story. We just wanted to hear from June himself. And we were limited to a 45-minute conversation. But believe me when I tell you that I could speak with this guy for hours. He's thoughtful, intelligent, kind. Everything that everyone told me he was. So, anyway, no big fancy intro this week. Let's just get right into it. Hey, June. Hi, how are you, Spencer? <laughs> I'm doing great. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to finally see you. Same here. I finally get to put a face to the names. So, how have things been going? As far as the podcast, I think it's being really well received. You know, we, we have an international audience. There's people all over the world that have been listening to this, so I think that that people are are invested in this story and you know invested in you. Well, that's pretty awesome, and I always I always tell uh, Kevin to always extend my gratitude to you and Lisa because without you guys, we would be nowhere. You know, my my faith in lawyers has you know I, I have no faith in lawyers, and it's people like you and Lisa and Kevin who push these stories forward and, you know, compel the, the powers 
that 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 are in those positions to make things happen, you know, do the the right the right thing. And so I'm happy for your support and Lisa's and Kevin's and Suave's and I have no confidence in lawyers whatsoever. None none like I for instance, I I I really believe that I wanted to hire a crime scene expert and I found this guy from out of Massachusetts named uh, Albert Harper. So I told him months ago, I said, hey, this, we have no DNA, but what we have is a crime scene that doesn't exist that's equivalent to DNA. You know, it's scientifically irrefutable evidence that there's no blood spatter consistent with it happening there. There was no evidence retrieved there that would say that it was there. And I said, like I put in the in a report that Jamie and I came up, it's analogous to me telling you it just snowed outside and you go outside and there's no snow. So, right. so I think that that's something that we need to really have an expert testify to because if you're familiar with the CIU report that Larry Krasner's office put out, there's an, it's a case that's so eerily similar to ours in terms of evidence. There's the Christopher Williams case where the, the guy testified and said that guys were being killed and thrown out of the van. So they went and hired an expert. They hired two experts. And those experts said that, no, these guys were not thrown out of a van because they don't have the abrasions and, and wounds and, you know, consistent with that happening like that. So the CIU said, you know, based upon that, they turned the triple murder over, you know, and that's right. that's basically what they had. So I found that case very uh, similar to ours in, in, in that respect, that the CIU went with their expert testimony that refuted the, uh, the witnesses uh, statement. Right. So and in our case, like I said, that in terms of physical evidence, that is the only thing we have that is, you know, I would say analogous to DNA is because it's science. You can't right. change science. So, June, have you have you had an opportunity to listen to any of the, the episodes that we've done? I have not, but I do. You know, I call several people and I ask them, you know, what was said and what did they think and what do the people who they've asked to listen to, what do they think? And, you know, they're saying that, you know, everybody's just saying, like, they don't understand how, how we're in jail. That's I guess that's everybody's, the universal response is how... How is it that we're still incarcerated? So I guess, and, and I, you know, I have a brother who's in Puerto Rico. His phrasing is that you guys are doing a professional job. So, you know, he he thinks you guys are doing great. So I, I, I heed his advice and I, I respect his judgment. So, and I know you guys are passionate and, and I'm doing a good job. So that's what I've been hearing. You talked earlier saying that you had no faith in lawyers anymore. Right. What would you say to Peruto now, if you could say anything to him? Well, I, I would ask Chuck to really think about what the consequences of his actions, whether intentional, unintentional, whatever those, you know, whatever was behind, whatever happened, to just come forward and, and just say, you know, what happened with this tape. Because I, I find it... I don't think that that romance in his first letter, and you see, there's a there's a there's a common theme throughout the letters, and he's he's the one always asking about Peruto. He's the one that brought up Peruto, right? It's not like I was, you know, fishing and no, he the one mentioned Peruto, and he's the one who said that 
Prudo was in the office, and he's the one that said that, check the logbooks, it, it would prove that he was there, right? So, I, I, I believe that there's something there, what that, what that there is, I guess Perudo and King are the ones that know that, and since King is no longer here, well then there's only one person that really knows. So, I, I don't believe that Chuck is uh, a bad man, right, at, at his core. But I think that sometimes people do things to protect themselves. I, I read the article that Samantha wrote, and she said that she spoke to Chuck, and that Chuck said that King threatened him with bringing out something that he wouldn't like. Well, wh what was that? Like, I, I, I don't know what would be as threatening to Peruto that, that Roger King believed was threatening to Peruto enough to make him acquiesce to whatever demands he wanted so like i said if you know if i, if I were to sit with chuck because you know chuck and i had a pretty good relationship you know for the short time that we knew one another and uh, we both were juniors he calls me junior and i you know and i used to call him junior or chuck so i would just say you know chuck just find it in you to reveal what was said by roger king that was not above board uh, legally right if anything nefarious was done by roger king any threatening that would compel him or make him to you know withhold that tape then just come forward right because you know at the end of the day he still has his life he's living good he has you know a young wife he's a millionaire i imagine but there's two men who've been incarcerated for 32 years who deserve to be home with their families so uh, I, I think it's time to just come forward. Yeah, well, I don't know if you, if you knew, we, we actually interviewed Chuck as well. And I asked him yeah. that exact question, what, you know, what happened in the office that day with, with King, and did he threaten you? And he, he said, no, he didn't. There was nothing he could have threatened me of. That was just, that was just good lawyering on his part. He, he, so he wasn't very forthcoming with me. He, it's just, it's remarkable, you know, the, the, the time difference between when we went, when we did our interview and when Samantha did her article and it's clear that he's lying. I mean, right. it is crystal clear and it's so frustrating to me. You know, his first email to us when he, when we were, when Spencer emailed him to do the interview was, I've never forgot about him. Right. When he talks, when he talked in the interview, he talks about what a nice guy you were, what a good guy you were. You know how, I mean, we've heard that from everybody, but to right. hear that from him kind of blew my mind a little bit, right? Because I'm thinking right. he must have rationalized, you've done these horrible things, and so it's okay that you are where, you're, where you are. But it, it's, it's such a, I don't know, it's so confounding to me how he can say all this stuff and at the same time keep his mouth shut about what he really did to you and to Angel. I, right. I don't get it. And I, I think one of the things, Lisa and Spencer, right, you, looking back at, and you guys know the case just as well as, as anyone, and I look at from October of 87, when he recorded Romance, to June 14, 1990, when he penned that letter to Barbara Christie. Are you aware of that letter that he wrote to Barbara Christie? Right. That was June 14th, 1990. This is before the trial, and he's making her aware of the, you know, that he's in possession of a tape uh, from their witness. Now, it's it's just I think it's uh, odd that for 32 months, 
You held possession of this tape. Five months later, trial begins. It's gone. That's the part that, you know, leaves you scratching your head because for 32 months, you have this tape. She was the chief of the homicide division, right? She was, she was King's boss. So he writes this letter on June 14, 1990 to Barbara Christie. And then five months later, trial begins and the tape is gone. Had it for 32 months. Do we know if she ever physically received that letter? Well, it was, it was Exhibit 41, right, in our trial. Commonwealth Exhibit 41 was the letter. And it was presented at trial. So to the extent of, of her receiving it, I, I don't know. But I know this, that if he did send that letter to her and she received it, wouldn't you think that a prosecutor, knowing that their case hinges on this one witness who the evidence says did it, would say, I need that tape, right? <laughs> or say, I don't want that tape. It doesn't help me. So, you know, it's, it's just something that is, I mean, any, any, any prosecutor worth his salt would say, hold up. I have a confession from a guy who the evidence already is pointing to. And then this tape is this, I need that. I don't, I, I, I don't believe that the prosecution ever re got hold of that tape. So, but it was, it was an exhibit and it was brought out in court that he did write that letter to Barbara Christie. It also seems like, though, that when Romance came forward, I guess when he got arrested in 89 and he starts cooperating, nobody ever mentions the witness statements or anything that they got right, right after right. Sean's murder. It's like none of that ever happened. Right. Now, Lisa, just, just for your edification and Spencer's edification, right? I got locked up June 15th, 1989 for the feds. But on June 14th, I just flew in from Las Vegas, right? I was at a fight, and I came in June 14th. And I remember I was, I had a store on Fairhunt Hunting Park, so I'm driving up to my store, and I see cop. There's a cop car on my pavement in front of my store. So I reverse, and I leave. So I come back when they're not there, and I say, and Romance was out there, so I asked, my girlfriend at the time, like, what did they do? They said, no, they just came in. But it seemed like they were just looking to see if I was in, you know, in town because the next day the affairs were coming to get me. But one of the officers tells Romance, Romance tell me, he said, yeah. He said, the cop told me, yeah, we have you on this one, which is the one he was out on bail for. And he tells him, we're going to get you on that other one. This is on June 14th. The cop tells him, we're going to get you on that other one. So Romance has this in his head, and if, 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 you, if you read his testimony, there's a very interesting thing he said it. When they asked him, what's your reason for coming forward? Or, or what's, you know, like, one of your reasons? And what Roger King is trying to extricate from him is, oh, I changed my life and this and that. But he said something very interesting. He said, I knew that I had the one murder, and the other one was still hanging out there. I knew I could beat one, but I didn't think I could win two. I, I thought that was a very interesting comment, and as as well as the comment with the bullet, right? When when he's being cross-examined, and Dros asks him, you know, about his familiarity with handguns, because Dros knows where he's going with this, and he says to him, "You say it's a 380, but do you know the medical examiner said 
it was a 25. No, he said, would it surprise you that the medical examiner says a 25? He says, oh, that would surprise me because as far as I know, no bullet was ever found. Who would know that? Yeah. <laughs> Who would know that but him? So it's just, you know, I just, I just, I firmly believe that if given the opportunity to present our case to the CIU with what we have, I've, I've read, you know, the CIU report and I've seen all those cases and I, I, I would put our case up against every single one of those cases in terms of evidence, right? Because I see a lot of these cases that don't have as much evidence as we do in terms of, you know, the physical evidence, in terms of statements. And like you said, Lisa, when they were questioning Romance, they knew these statements were out there, but Romance didn't know. So when he created this story, which is a good thing that he created that story that didn't fit none of the contemporary, contemporary statements that were given. All of these contemporaneous statements that were given are totally against what he said. You know, and, and you would think that at that point, the prosecutor, right, doing the right thing would say, nah, you're lying and we're going to charge you. That's, that's what a, a prosecutor would do, right? Because all the, you know, the, the first thing they say is, right, Detective 101, follow the evidence, right? You know, Prosecutor 101, follow the evidence. Yeah, but King, King, was, King wasn't interested in that. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, he, he, all. he had it in for you guys, personally, right? I, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that, you know, back then they were, they were charging everybody with, because, you know, we were charged with the RICO, right? So now they're allowed, you know, which actually in 96, the judge arrested judgment on that charge. So we no longer have RICO. So we just have a standalone murder. But yet we were prejudiced. You read, you read the, the testimony. All he did was parade everybody in from people from license and inspection, talking about the scales in my store to, to, to weigh meats. You know, so he went to those lengths to just put lipstick on this pig, which is romance, right? Well, let's 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 stay on the the trial for a second and romance. One of Romance's letters, he mentions a very specific moment where the two of you had locked eyes and you you just had this steely gaze, like and he no expression. Like he said I was like a stone. Yeah, like no expression. In the chair. Yeah. Right. But what what were you thinking like while Romance was up there just perpetrating these lies? Well, Spencer, the first reaction is it feels like it's surreal, right? Because you're saying to yourself, this guy really can't be doing this, right? Like, there's no way he's doing this. And, and I'm looking, I'm saying, like, I, I can't believe that he's doing this. It's one thing, right? If he and I and Spanky, if we did this and he come and, you know, I, I could sit there and say, you know what? It is what it is. I, you know, we, we did this and... I deserve what I got coming. But when you know that everything that's coming out of his mouth is a lie, right? You're sitting there perplexed. And I tell you, the one thing, and, and, and I ruminate over, been ruminating for 32 years over all of the things, right? And the one thing, and a friend of mine, he found my, this phrasing pretty interesting. I said, you know, my, my, my downfall was believing that innocence alone would prevail, right? And when you know you're guilty, right, you know, hey, I got to put up a fight because I know I'm guilty, right? But when you're innocent, 
you start to say, no, this will work out. This will work out. It's just like you ever see those guys who, you know, and you've seen the cases, Lisa and Spencer, guys who give confessions of to, to things they didn't do because they say, I just want to get out of this predicament here because I know later on the truth is going to come right. out. And right. that's how you feel. You're saying to yourself, I'm looking at this guy and I'm saying, there's no way in the world like this is really happening. Right. And you, so I'm sitting there perplexed more than, you know, stone faced. He considered himself family with with you and your and your family right. more than just friends. Right. You were family. And then right. he gets up there and, and right. does that. Right. Listen, he you know, it, I, I, I'm not a psychologist, but I would go so far as to say I, I just believe he's a sociopath. And this guy is all about himself. You know, he and evidenced by what, what, you know, what he's done. Right. And he, he has this life now. He's living in another state. And obviously he has a, you know, a, a girlfriend or a wife and there's children living there. And he's created this this life for himself. And he's he's I guess he's fine with that. And I, I think it's hard because another thing is this. Right. Spencer and Lisa is that Sean, like romance was his idol. Like, Sean looked up to romance. And for him to kill that kid like that, right? And then, even on the second murder, right? He killed that guy for nothing. For nothing. You know? And okay, listen, I already said, I was stupid enough to put the gun in his hand. You know, although my, me, my brother, and the kid that was in the back seat, we never expected this guy to shoot this guy. As soon as I pull up, he jumps out of a car and kills a man, right? And I just start to think. And then while he's in the feds, you, you read his letters, he stabs a guy while the guy is sleeping. That's what sends him to Marion and, and Colorado ADX, right? So the guy is just, he just doesn't have a conscience, right? And then, and on top of that, to just have two people sitting in jail for something that he did. Listen, if I hurt somebody's feelings in the slightest way, it's on my conscience, right? And, and, and for him to just say, hey, I killed two, and then not on, not on that, I killed two other ones, right? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're living dead, right? Being in this, in, in, in this hellhole, right? And he's all right with it. He's, he's practically all right with it. Let me ask you a question you know? about the letters, where he is going on and on, and he's so thankful that you have forgiven him. That was in the 91 letter. He's, you know, he's, he's saying how grateful he is that you have forgiven him. Was that, was that, right. I, was that sincere on, on your part at that time? Or was, at that, was it still a means to an end for you? Well, Spencer, if you, if you go over the letters again, that surprised me. What happened was he ran into Jose Rivera in Fairton, New Jersey, Right. And he says that Jose Rivera told him that I had forgiven him. Now, I never told Jose Rivera that. Maybe Jose Rivera told him that to soften him up, right? Hey, June's forgiving you, right? Those were his words, and he said that I told Jose. Yeah, he says, yeah, I was with the old man in the yard, and he told me you forgave me. And when I when he told me that, you know, I, like you know, whatever he says after that, that like it made him want to really help me out. I never <laughs> expressed that to him, right? And so he got that through Jose Rivera. So 
how do you feel about romance today? You know, it, that changes literally from hour to hour, right? You know, we all, you know, on, on the human level, we all operate and we go throughout the course of a day from feeling good to feeling bad. So when you feel bad, you want some bad, you know, to, to befall him. When you feel good, you say, you know what? It is what it is. I don't want to. You know, I, I, I'll never forget one thing, right? And I, and I heard this many, many years ago, and it says, hating someone is like taking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? So I don't, I, I don't sit here and harbor hate, right? Because it just doesn't help me. And I, I'm, I'm cognizant of that, that harboring hate just hurt me and not him, right? Now, do I sit here and say, Man, I wish one day, you know, somebody just accused him of something and just puts in jail for something he didn't do, right? And then other days, I just say, you know what? I don't care anything about him. You know, I'll, I'll, I just want to get out, right? So that's, that's, I guess, the best answer I can give it, that it changes day to day, right? I, some days I wouldn't care if he hit the lottery, right? I just, because I can't consume, I can't let him live in my head for free. Right. I already have my own problem to deal with. So he's, you know, on an intellectual level. Right. I, I, I just just know that that's not the right thing to do to harbor those thoughts because it's not beneficial to me and or, you know, to my mental health, my physical health. I just got to let him go. And I have done that. I just let it go and say, you know what, let him go on. And if he hits the lottery for a billion dollars, then I don't care. Right. He I try to erase it from my mind, but you know, it's, you just can't do that. You know, of course there's days I hear a song and the word romance in the song comes up and you say, thinking it is none, right? You know, so you see a movie, you know, romancing the stone. You, you, so the word romance comes up in a lot of things, right? So you, so he's there, you know, it's not like he's not there, but at this point, I, I, I really don't care about him, right? I care about me and Spanky and my family and that's that's where my energy is at and you know that's how i feel about it all right well let's not let's not waste any more time talking about romance let's talk let's talk about your family mary grandchildren like we we met mary in person uh, a few months ago when we were in philadelphia and when she was talking about her wedding the scrapbook that you gave her and you know her her eyes light up when she when she talks about you like like there's there's just so much love there that that it, it's it's really it's really apparent tell me well, tell me about tell me about this scrapbook well the scrapbook i i came up with that idea because i wanted her to see you know because i have thousands of pictures right and i know these are pictures that she wasn't privy to and didn't know i even had and i just wanted to create you know a timeline for her right and you know at the end i think which was just the most the emotional part for me was when I left uh, the page blank and I said, this is the one for the picture we take when I get out. But I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see her evolution, you know, from baby to, you know, teen to, you know, mother now. And the one thing that I'm most proud of Spencer and Lisa, the one thing that I'm most proud of is the relationship that I have with her. Because despite the fact that she was 13 months and one week old, when I came to prison, and now she's 33, going on 34. We have an, an amazing relationship, and and that's the one thing I'm most proud of, and I'm thankful to my family, and I'm thankful to her mother for that, because 
they, I was prominent, you know, in her life all the way through. And I'm just grateful for that. That, that, that is, I guess if that's the one thing that I'm most proud of is, is, is the relationship that I, that I have with her. You know, and I, you know, I have grandchildren and just, you know, I fantasize about just being out there with them. And, you know, as far as like, you want to know, like, when people speak about, you know, how I am, one of the things I've always said, right, and people always say, well, I want to leave Philly. I got to get out of Philly. And, you know, the one thing I always say is we helped destroy that community, right? Ethan Butler, we were the first drug corner in that area. One of the, you know, the biggest probably in Philadelphia history. And I always say that I believe I owe it to that community, right, that if I were to be released, that I'm going to live right there. And I'm going to help rebuild that same community. And I think about that every, you know, all the, even today I'm thinking because I have a plan, right? And, and, and I just believe that I can't just be freed from here and then move on. Because although my crime was selling drugs, I don't ever want to downplay the negative externalities of selling drugs, right? You know, so many things, so many families being destroyed, you know, so many kids losing their lives, so many kids coming to jail, mothers you know, having their children taken away from them. So I played a part in that. I'm looking forward to the day, you know, that I can go out there and not run from North Philadelphia, where I'm from, but stay there and, and help rebuild to the degree that I can. You know, I'm not, not you know, Pollyannish or anything like that, but I know that I can, I can affect. I know, I, I believe in myself that much, that I have the passion, I have the ability, both intellectually and emotionally, to to put forward the, the effort and, and the strategy and plan to change my neighborhood. And that's something that I know that I can do and that I wanna do and that I, I dream of doing more than anything else. That's, that's where I'm at with that. Even, you know, I tell guys here, you hear so much, uh, you know, everybody here is a victim in the, in the prison, right? Everybody, oh, they're doing it, oh, this is, you know, the food is cold and this and that. And they're complaining. And, you know, the first thing I say is, tell that to that five-year-old who's battling a terminal illness, right? And then come back and tell me about your food being cold or, you know, the system's not treating you right. I say, I've been in jail for 32 years, something I didn't do. And you'll never hear me cry about it. Because all I can do is fight, right? If you waste time, if you waste time crying, you're not fighting. I get gratification in helping people. I do it here, and I look forward to doing it out there. And you know, that's that's what I look forward to doing. That's amazing. Is that your plan for when you get out? Is you just want to get back into the community and 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 give back? Sure, sure, sure. Listen, if I hit the lotto for a billion dollars, I'll be right there on Darien Street, you know, making change because I know I can. I know I, I don't, I, I'm not, I don't have a super inflated ego. I don't have, I don't think of myself. I just believe that if, if you believe hard enough and if you love, you know, the people hard enough and, and you really want to help them, they're going to follow. They're going to follow. They're going to follow. And I believe that I have the cachet, right? As, as presumptuous as it may sound, you know, people do know who I am, right? And to the degree that, my popularity in my neighborhood or in North Philadelphia can uh, help move the needle in a positive way, I believe it can be done. And I know it will be done, you know, so I, I, I look forward to doing it. And it's a passion, so that's going to be, you know, that's, I'm not going to say it's a calling. I don't get into that. I just feel as though it's something that I want to do, you know. I want to go back to where I come from and change to the degree that I can my my community you know so and i know i can do it i know i can there's no doubt in my mind whatsoever there's no doubt in mine either 
if you could speak directly to our listeners, is there anything you would want to say to them? First and foremost, I extend a million thank yous for their interest in our case. And I'm thankful that all I've ever wanted, I've watched all the Datelines, I've watched all the 48 Hours Mysteries, I've watched all the Forensic Files, and the one thing that I've always wanted was for someone to believe in us. I have that in Spencer, I have that in Lisa, I have it in Kevin, and now I hope that I have it in the listeners. Because I, I believe it is that belief, right, that propels you when things are going wrong and, and you feel like you're not making progress, you believe hard enough to say, no, this is wrong and I'm going to make it right. So I want the listeners to know that I appreciate their time. Time is valuable. People have lives. And for them to take out the 30 or 40 minutes, you know, an episode, I greatly, greatly appreciate it. And I want them to know that I think about that all the time. And, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, thankful, just thankful that, that we have garnered the interest, right? You know, the case has garnered the interest, but more so that people are, there's, there's an emotional attachment now, you know, based upon the injustice that has occurred that I sense from people. And that's, that's refreshing because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we, you know, no man is an island, right? And you, you just can't achieve the things that you want to achieve by yourself, right? I, I, no one who's had any success in life has done it by themselves. And I know that it's with the help of you, Spencer, you, Lisa, and Kevin, and the listeners, you know, because a listener may say, well, how can I be of help? Well, you never know. You may know someone who can affect change, right? You, and that's how it works, right? It just takes one person to say, hey, I know how I can make this, you know, make this happen. I know someone who knows someone who knows someone. And I've always said from the beginning, I'm not saying crack the door open and let us out. That's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is give me the opportunity to present what we have. If you give me that and you give me an objective review, I can live with the results, you know. So for the listeners, thank you so much. And, you know, I hope that it's not only for me, but that the listeners, you know, see that, you know, I'm not the only one. There are others that, that are in my position that don't have a voice. And I'm not asking anyone to, you know, dedicate themselves like you and Lisa do, but just, just with that support, it helps. So thank you to all the listeners. Yeah, every, every little bit helps. And, you know, we're, we're basing our whole podcast on advocacy and, and there's different levels to that. And it doesn't necessarily have to be start a podcast and talk about it. It can be talking to one person, uh, making one phone call, one social media post. There's, there's any number of things on the smallest level that people can do that they may not even realize is helping. Right. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I feel. I just want to say that, you know, I, I, I came into this this whole process not knowing much. Lisa's the, the advocacy pro. The more I'm learning about this, about you, about your case, I just want to let you know what an honor it's been for, for us to, to get to, to share this story. And I look forward to the day that I get to shake your hand. Well, Spencer, the honor is ours, right? To have something that I've always wanted, for someone to believe in us. And you, Lisa and Kevin and Suave, you guys believe in us. And whatever way this turns out, that's something I'll never forget, that I finally found someone to believe in us. That's all I've always wanted, you know? So I thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. 
and I look forward to the day where I can reciprocate in a, in a great, great fashion, right? Because you guys are deserving of so much. You know, you do so much for, for the ones that can't do for themselves. So uh, I applaud you guys and appreciate you greatly. I mean, how can you not root for this guy? I mean, his passion when he talks about going back to Ethan Butler, the love when he speaks about his relationship with his daughter Mary, his insight. Hell, the man is quoting Buddha when he, when he talks about not harboring hate or any bad feelings towards romance. That's the, the drinking poison quote that he mentions. It's Buddha. And sure, he was very complimentary towards us. But even as he's thanking us, he's looking forward, talking about all the other people he wants to help and wants to see get helped. For crying out loud, let's get this man out of prison. All right, that's it. That's the episode. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. The Injustice Podcast is brought to you in association with Death by Incarceration. Thank you to Crawlspace Media. Sound design, audio post-production, Jason Usry. Special thanks for original music to Bernaldo Rivaldi. Check out all his great stuff on iTunes and Spotify, Bandcamp, wherever you get your music. Please support independent artists. Right now is a, a real tough time for creatives. Go to InjusticePod.com for more information, including what are the great podcasts we are listening to. You can also find information to contact the hosts directly there. General inquiries can go to info at InjusticePod.com. Thank you for listening. This has been an Injustice Production. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.